Hello, and welcome to the Tarot to Go radio podcast. I'm Anastasia. With me tonight, Rose Red. Hi, guys. And Andrew. Hello. And our very special guest, Karen Maringer, the author of Sail Into Your Dreams, brought to us by our good friends at Llewellyn Worldwide. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, we're delighted. I was so pleased that you could find a few minutes in your uh, whirlwind tour of the Bay Area to speak with us. It's great. Karen, since we have you with us tonight, I'd really love to talk about your book. Um, and again, thank you for making some time to talk to us. I know that um, you're running around doing all these bookstore readings and appearances and things, and uh, wasn't quite sure that you'd be able to have time for us, but I'm delighted that you do. Oh, thanks, Anastasia. Your fabulous book, Sail Into Your Dreams, Eight Steps to Living a More Purposeful Life, um, published by Llewellyn, again, our good friends in the Midwest. And um, I really enjoyed reading this. I spent Saturday afternoon reading it, and then I read it again a little bit on Sunday. And really, um, it was a lovely way to, to pass the afternoon. And I'm just very curious. You know, there's lots of questions I'd love to ask, but I don't want to take up your entire night. Um, so I guess where I'd like to start is, you know, you, the, the way you describe it in your book is you and your husband were living just kind of a normal, you know, dual career lifestyle. And it doesn't seem like one day you just woke up and said, hey, let's put everything in storage and go sailing. <laughs> um, but it, it seems like maybe it was a faster, a, a quicker decision, or was it more of a, a time drawn out thing? Well, actually, I think overall it started probably around the summer of 1997. Mm -hmm. And the, we had been married, we got married in 96. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, like you said, we both had um, good jobs. We had a suburb, house in the suburbs, two cars. Um, and on the surface, things looked really good. And our marriage was, uh, is, and was good. Um, but inside, we felt this dissatisfaction. A lot of times we'd come home from work tired and just plop in front of the TV. And it was kind of this feeling like, gosh, there's got to be more to life than this, you know? Right. And so discussions started about... Um, passion and mm -hmm. one was sailing for both of us. I grew up sailing on the San Francisco Bay and John had a friend with a sailboat and he just loved the water and ocean. So we decided to take sailing lessons and joined a sailing club. Wow. That was the summer of 97 and I believe by about December we had started looking into options, mm -hmm. crew positions or buying a boat. We weren't quite sure but we just knew we wanted to make a change. And the sailing itself, getting out on the water, um, what happened was that really stirred our passion. Oh. And that um, passion led to action. It was like empowerment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, when you do something that you feel passionate about, there's that um, feeling of empowerment that came with that. So it was like, wow, we don't need to stay stuck in what looks like, you know, a good life when we're not feeling satisfied. Um, so one option we looked into is crewing positions, and what that means is just um, helping the captain of the boat deliver it from point A to point B. And we found this guy out of Seattle um, through a magazine called Lat uh, 48 North, mm -hmm. called Latitude 38 here in California. Right. And he was doing a circumnavigation all the way around the world, and we decided to join him on the second lake. He had already sailed from Seattle to Fiji, so we got on the boat from Fiji to Singapore for six months and basically cool. took a whole year off. Um, we didn't quit our jobs, although we knew we weren't coming back. We took a leave of absence for a year, mm -hmm. didn't sell the house, <laughs> so we knew we weren't coming back. Um, we rented it out and then just stored all our stuff and did a road trip for three weeks to look for a new home because 
part of the problem too. We just felt like we were ready to leave Seattle at that time right. and move on. Um, so it was a gradual process. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, by the time we decided and then got the crew position, got accepted for the crew position, then it was a whole nother process just to get ready. I mean, that was a huge undertaking, not only to do the traveling part, but then also knowing in the back of our minds that we're doing this to, as part of um, a process of completely reinventing our lives. Right. Yeah. Wow. So after doing this and then getting back to Seattle and deciding, no, we want to make this, you know, we want to make another change in our lives and we're going to, you know, set up our lives. We divide our time between a place in the mountains in Big Bear and um, in being on the coast. Um, you know, it's, it's like, okay, we've just made this one big change and we took this time off and now instead of going back and, you know, going home to the same sort of thing, making another change. How did you find that following change with change, how easy was that to navigate? <laughs> oh, man. Well, all I can say is before the trip itself, um, like I said, we already knew that we probably weren't coming back to Seattle, that we were going to be looking for new work. And right. it'd be, at the time, it was between Boulder, Colorado, and San Diego. Mm -hmm. And so we did a three-week road trip before we met the sailboat. And we decided before we left even that we were going to move to San Diego once we returned. Right. So that was helpful to know that beforehand. And both of us had an idea about career direction, but nothing solid. Um, so what we did after we got off the sailboat, we came and got our stuff in Seattle. We moved to San Diego, and we lived in a little one-bedroom bungalow, mm -hmm. which you guys, I think is so funny, seemed really big after being on a sailboat. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a wonderful experience. We were only a few blocks from the ocean, and it really gave us time to get our new uh, careers going, because I was going back to graduate school. John was starting a new um, direction. And so that was just a fantastic experience. Um, yeah, so the whole process, like you mentioned, change after change. There was a lot of letting go involved, and that's something I want um, the audience to understand is that when you are going for change, it really is um, about moving forward, but then also letting something else go, right? Right. So whether it's a new job, moving to a new location, a new relationship, or ending a relationship, it's all changes really um, part about loss mm -hmm. and letting go. So when we left Seattle, for instance, we had to grieve family and friends, we had to find a home for our pets, and that's something oh. I cried about many times. Oh, I bet. Um, there was, you know, this home that we really uh, enjoyed in the, the suburbs, it was a nice little house, our first house being a married couple, and letting the back go, mm -hmm. uh, we sold our cars, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot to let go. Mm -hmm. And so that, that part of the process, um, what I want to say about that is just showing up and being present with those feelings when they come up, Right. the grief. But then also the anxiety, because there's a tremendous amount of fear. Not only were we um, exploring exotic countries and cultures and sailing on the ocean, and um, but we were also reinventing our lives. So there was a lot of fear, headaches, stomach aches. So just being really um, present with that. And I think that's when I really started to journal a lot. And the book idea mm -hmm. came about because I was doing so much journaling. And people were really inspired by what we were doing. Yeah, great. Yeah. So, so um, in terms of dealing with all these transitions, besides obviously um, needing to stay in good communication with your partner, um, what did you do? What did you find helped you cope with these emotions as they came up? Being, you know, I don't want to give up my dog or my cat, or you know, or you think, oh, I'm going to sell my car; it's no big deal. But then you do, and so it's like, but that was part of me. That was part of my identity. I owned this car. Mm -hmm. 
even the car I cried. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, I think that's funny, but it was the first car that I had owned as an adult that mm -hmm. I loved. Mm -hmm. The first car I had bought because my um, first husband, oh, it was practical. Right. Know, it was inexpensive. It was practical, blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> this car, it was like, I'm single between... Um, um, before my marriage to John, I was single for a short time, and it was like, yeah, this is the car I love. It was a sports car. It was mm -hmm. an uh, Eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mitsubishi Eclipse. Anyway, so yeah, even the car, um, letting that go, there was some grief involved. So I guess my what I would um, suggest to people is just allowing for those feelings. Because once you allow the grief mm -hmm. to flow through you and you process it, then you can keep moving forward. And for me, it was helpful to have... Um, when the journaling, but also a lot of support. So right. family, friends, um, people I could talk to. Um, again, you know, my partnership, my husband, uh, John, very supportive, so we could share things as we were going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just keep the process going as you go through making those changes and be aware of the feelings as they come up. Mm -hmm. So in the work that um, you've been doing um, in, in your marriage and family uh, therapy counseling practice um, and also in your personal coaching practice, um, when people are going through transitions, have you noticed a certain pattern of, you know, everybody keeps a journal or, you know, some people turn to, um, well, obviously they're already seeing you, a um, coach, but um, you know, do, do you see that there's kind of a common thread in the mechanisms that people help um, use to sustain themselves during these transitions? Yeah, like the coping that you think that you're talking about. Um, and that's a good point because I think um, there have been times in my life where I've gone through different change, uh, changes or I'm grieving the loss of something or someone. And mm -hmm. I've definitely relied back on therapy, you know, in and out throughout the years, just knowing that I can, if maybe I'm living in a new area, my support system's not set up yet, um, right. that I can rely on a therapist. Or even if I do have a support system, it's always helpful to be able to go to a healer or someone, a coach. Mm -hmm. So that was a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and now I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's just in, in your work with people, because since, since you, you've got this um, psychotherapy and coaching practice, uh -huh. helping people make these kinds of transitions, yeah. um, have you noticed that there's kind of, um, you know, a certain number of them turn to, you know, um, journaling or a certain number of them turn to some kind of organized religion or a certain number of them turn to tarot or runes or some kind of divination to help them process their oh, feelings and get insight. Okay, you asked about the thread. Um, I do work with a variety of different clients, so there's, um, I can't say that there's any theme or thread that I've seen. Um, mm -hmm. And some in particular I'll suggest, oh, you should, you know, journal, find a spiritual practice, try meditating, try doing yoga, whatever, and that might not work for someone. So right. what might work for that person is talking. They just need to get it out. Um, mm -hmm. What I do in my, my sessions is I guide people through meditation so that they can find their own inner truth and wisdom and get connected that way. Right. Because sometimes people have a hard time doing that on their own to start with. Mm -hmm. But um, those are definitely all things that I recommend. Some people like to hike and spend time in nature or mm -hmm. swimming. Um, those are things that are helpful. And of course, there are people that turn to drugs now. <laughs> like that, but that's what we're trying to avoid. Yeah, not quite so helpful. <laughs> not quite so helpful. Yeah. Uh, gosh, where were you when I moved to London? We <laughs> 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 after my husband and I married. Um, we, we moved to London from San Francisco and, you know, huge geographic transition, um, not to mention a you know, complete change of community and everything else. And um, 
you know, it's, it's, there were days where it's like, I just want to talk to somebody who doesn't speak with an accent. <laughs> <laughs> so Anastasia, do you have any other ideas that I might have left out? I, I think all the things that you brought up between the two of us, I feel like we covered it, but did we forget something? Um, no, I think, I, think, I think we pretty much got that. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, uh, as many ways to deal with stress and um, centering yourself as there are people. Some people might turn to poetry sometimes oh, or yeah. turn to music, either listening to it or making it. Um, yeah. and really, there's an infinite number of ways of dealing with uh, the, the anxiety and the separation issues and, and whatever comes up that you can't nor just deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things that helped me is um, after we got there and found a place to live and our stuff finally arrived as it had been sailing slowly across the Atlantic Ocean <laughs> for a while, um, and then it arrived all at once, like, okay, wait, now what do we do with all this stuff <laughs> that I've been waiting for? Um, is I actually um, I got a member in the um, London branch of the American Women's Club, and they had a um, twice a month sewing circle, right? bring your cross stitch or your needlepoint or whatever. And you know, I'd always done that kind of on and off, but suddenly it became really important <laughs> because it was a key to beginning to spend some time with some other women who knew what I was going through. Yeah, and oh, that's a great point. And I talk about that a little bit on uh, step five is uh, swim with the dolphins, be in community. Yes. Just how important that is to create community around you, and especially when you're moving to a new location like that. Um, that was a very wise thing that you did. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's it just because, um, you know, moving even just, you know, from, you know, Seattle to San Diego, there's a huge cultural shift. And you almost feel like you don't understand, and the language is different. <laughs> and like, wait, we're all speaking the same English here. You know, it's, it's but it's still a different pace. It's still a different whole mentality. And and learning to deal with that, and just finding somebody that you can talk to, and who understands, or you know, even better, a local who understands. <laughs> um, one of one of the best things um, again, the American Women's Club. It was just a lifesaver for me, and they had a little welcome to London. What you need to know, and how to like interpret the strange marks on the stove so that you can cook things without burning them, <laughs> or eating half cooked food. Um, you know, what does a gas mark mean anyway? Translate this into a temperature so I can you know bake a cake here. Um, just little things that you take for granted Imagine. on a day to day basis. Um, but even just moving domestically, um, you know, I'm sure when you first got to San Diego, you're thinking, so where's the grocery store? Where's the drugstore? I need a dry cleaner. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's the, definitely an adjustment and transition, it, and it takes time. So being patient and gentle with yourself, you know, through the process, and uh, it takes time. It takes energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and just. Um, yeah, th there's a lot to it because people think, oh, we'll just pack our stuff and put it in a box, and then the boxes will come and we'll unpack and everything will be fine. And it's not quite that uncomplicated. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's everything I read over and over again when we were preparing for the move um, was that you really have to allow about two years to settle into your new community completely. Wow. That it will, okay. be, it will really be almost two full years before you feel like you have it figured out, you have an established support network, and you can manage your day-to-day -day life without feeling like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's helpful to know. I had no idea that that's what the average time is. And is that for um, international moves? Um, no, they, they say for, for any significant geographical move. Wow. So okay. so even like your, your move from Seattle to San Diego, mm -hmm. uh, you know, two full years just hmm. to learn, you know, the lay of the land and really how to, how to manage your day-to-day -day life and set it up in a way that's satisfactory to you, that meets your needs. 
uh, and this is presuming you're not moving somewhere that you already have a community and that sort of thing. This okay. is you know, starting from scratch sort of thing. Okay. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was about a year and a half before we really felt like we had some kind of clue. And it didn't feel like every day was this constant struggle of, you know, how do I, <laughs> how do I get to the dry cleaner and get to the grocery store and get home in time to make dinner? And you know, I wasn't working full time outside the home either, <laughs> yeah. and it still was taking all day just to manage the basics, um, just because you get so overwhelmed with the strangeness and the transition, just not knowing how anything works. So. And I was thinking of my move to Big Bear because after we lived in San Diego for years, we, that's when we decided to um, follow our dream and our vision of owning a cabin and a sailboat, right? The mountains and the ocean. Mm -hmm. And moving to Big Bear, it was a much quicker, easier adjustment, but I think it's because it was a smaller community, right? and there was already an established um, group of uh, women who I felt were like-minded, that I connected with, that I um, started participating in different um, organizations, different things that were going on in the community, so it, it seemed like, maybe it did take about a year or so, but it mm -hmm. just seemed like it went faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it did. It's, it, and it's always a big deal because even if you're doing it, I mean, we were so excited about moving to London. And, you know, this is fabulous and, you know, how often do you get this opportunity? You know, someone else is going to pay to move you halfway around the world and live in this fabulous metropolitan area with, you know, all of the advantages and culture that London offers. <laughs> and it was still, you know, it was exciting and it was good, but, you know, we'd, we'd only been married two months exactly hmm. when we made the move. And you know they, they say you know in in your first year of marriage don't t do any take do any major undertakings because you're just trying to adjust to being married. But you know we married two months later we moved halfway around the world having sold our cars, <laughs> given up both of our rent-controlled San Francisco townhouses. Oh, wow. You know I quit my job. <laughs> uh, it's like oh I'm not quite sure what's coming next, but okay. So um, so you know it's it's I, for anybody listening I don't recommend doing this. <laughs> Well, and can I say something? Because sure. I think that, um, and also I want to mention something about the sailing trip, but I think that people can have this, like, kind of pie in the sky, oh, living in Europe or going off on this amazing sailing trip. And one thing I want to reiterate is, or talk about is that living our dreams and sailing into our dreams isn't all about sunny skies and calm seas, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But it is about going for it. Mm -hmm. So if you hadn't have done that, wouldn't you have always wondered or oh, thought, you yeah. know? Yeah, and if I hadn't gone sailing, I mean, that was a life-transforming experience, but mm -hmm. we did encounter storms at sea. We did have sleepless nights. We did have tension with the crew. And probably the most terrifying part of our trip was um, returning home and driving on the L.A. freeway between L.A. and San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> the da I most dangerous that. part of your journey, yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, so uh, anyway, um, there's a little story behind that if you want to hear it. It's yes. kind of funny, but we had flown from Tokyo to LA about a 12 hour flight and John was sick with the Hong Kong flu oh, and no. we had driven for seven and a half months and we got off the airplane, got our backpacks, we're standing at the curb at the airport thinking, okay, where's the, where's the cheap transportation that we had become so accustomed to right. traveling abroad and it was like $95 for a shuttle or something to San Diego each, which was all oh. weeks of our um, budget. Wow. <laughs> So that we found the cheapest form of transportation was to rent a car, mm -hmm. and I got in the car, and 
um, it was pouring rain on the LA freeway. I was probably driving about 50 miles an hour like a granny. <laughs> and I was terrified. It took days to recover from that stress. Oh, I'm sure. Well, and yeah. just coming back and walking in the grocery store was totally overwhelming because mm -hmm. we have so many choices here and things are so fast here. Mm -hmm. I don't think you know unless you've gone away, and mm -hmm. especially going away on a sailboat where you're going six or seven knots. Right. Miles on the freeway. You're right. So yeah. it just, um, you know, just to put things in perspective, it's, again, it's not all about the sunset white sand beaches, but it's, um, the challenges also, I think, in some ways made me stronger and more courageous. Mm -hmm. So like each storm that we experienced at sea was like, wow, I got through that, I did that. Wow, if I could do that, what else can I do, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you felt the same way with your, you know, experience going to London. Wow, you did that, you know? You could, what else can you do? You know, it was a major victory when I was able to buy a coffee maker. <laughs> it, I, I am not kidding. It, it, it's, it was a three-day planned campaign, and I finally, we finally had a coffee maker. And it just, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying to explain this to my friends back in the states. Like, it took three days to buy a coffee maker. They're like, you are out of your mind. <laughs> now this wow. is life in London. Um, but you know, you can get a tea kettle anywhere, but coffee maker, no. It's, it's you have to strategize for it. Um, you know, it's, it's just a very different way of thinking about things and way of solving problems, um, and you know, acknowledging that there are things that you never thought would be a problem. You know, you need a new coffee maker. You just like you know, go to Macy's or Target or you exactly. know, you order one online from CoffeeMakers.com or whatever. Not so. Uh, like, okay, wait. So I have to figure out where I can. Buy one, and then it, 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 it was it was it was an adventure. It took three days, but we ended up with a coffee maker. And when we ended up moving back to the states, eventually, I'm like, I want to take the coffee maker with me. I, after all, I went through to acquire it, and I don't want to give up this coffee maker. Um, so yeah, um, so you, you you went on this incredible adventure. You you made three substantial life changes in you know a rather short period of time. Um, you know, I, I, I know it's spread out, you know, it's reading it in the course of a book. It's like, oh my gosh, they, they moved all the time. And I realized that, you know, it was, the time was actually more than just, you know, the 200 pages of the book. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, now, now that you've sort of settled and created this life for yourself in, in Colorado, do you ever think, gosh, I kind of miss being out on an adventure? Not right now because I'm on a whole new adventure with this book. Uh huh. Oh, great. <laughs> Being a published author is a, uh, for me, has been just this whole new uh, opening, expansion. Um, it's also forced me to deal with a lot of my own issues, my insecurities and fears. And um, I've actually been back in therapy a few times. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, and it's been wonderful. Mm -hmm. So that's, again, just embracing it all. It's been absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's been an amazing journey. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's keeping me rather busy and and off in new directions that I've never been before. So yeah, so whether your adventures, you know, overseas, traveling to different countries or just here doing something amazing that you've always dreamed of doing, whether, you know, writing a book, all right. it is, um, just looking at those things as adventures as well. Mm -hmm. So um, it when, when you were off doing the sailing, when you've been doing all these transitions with your life, you know, at, at some point, you, know, you wake up one day and go, oh my God, what are we doing? How do I deal with this? I just want to go back. What do you do on those days? I don't remember Anastasia ever having days ever wow. in my life of thinking about turning back. It's like once we make a decision, mm -hmm. usually it's pretty well thought through because John and I are very methodical, thoughtful people before we make huge uh, decisions. Right. 
So, but I do remember having days where I'd look at the picture of my kitty cats that we left behind, and I'd cry, and I'd miss them, and you know, uh-huh. I'd miss a, a warm shower, or, you know, I'd miss <laughs> the comfort of home. But I never thought like, oh, I wish I was back there. Never. Uh huh. And even after all these moves that we made, never, you know. Wow, um, that that that's great. Um, so maybe the lesson there is, if you think uh, a possible life-affecting choice through well enough and you commit to it, and you're prepared, you won't regret it later on, yeah, even, even momentarily or at a moment of weakness. Yeah, well said, Andrew. Okay. Yeah, you may miss things, um, but you know, it's like, well, here we are. So. Right. <laughs> and so, the option is what? <laughs> right. Well, for example, moving to Colorado, I loved our um, cabin in Big Bear. I loved the community of friends that I made. Big Bear itself is just beautiful, and so, the decision to move was really, and sell our sailboat, sell our cabin and move was, um, it was huge. And I was kind of resisting it. You know, a lot of it was John because he wanted to go back to school and um, Mm -hmm. live in an area with more opportunities and whatnot. But every time I would sit quietly in meditation, I would get this really light, warm feeling. And I knew it was the right decision. So deep down inside, I knew we were doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. It was extremely hard and I did grieve um, the, the process. And as I went along, I decided to look at our new adventure as um, our, my shifted my perspective from loss and grief to one of expansion mm-hmm. and opening. And it's like, wow, I'm going to be, not only am I going to keep all of my experiences and memory and Big Bear in my heart, they're already a part of who I am, mm-hmm. but I'm also opening the door to all of these amazing new experiences yeah. and people. And, and sure enough, that it has been what it is. Uh-huh. But definitely, there's the grieving process of getting there, you know? Mm-hmm. But having that mindset of um, the expansion piece really helped. Yeah, that, that is very helpful because sometimes particularly, you know, on those days where you're feeling a lot of grief, it's like I gave up my pets, I gave up my car, I gave up you know, my favorite couch, whatever. Um, it's easy to get stuck in that, mm-hmm. in the I have lost so much or I chose to give up so much. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I want it all back. Well, maybe you don't actually want it all back. You just need some reassurance and some comfort. Which is good, which is why you have good support systems. Mm-hmm. And it's always good to have those groups that you can connect with and build, yeah. I guess, is what to be a mm-hmm. live in the yeah. moment kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Rosebud, that's like, you know, my experience has been that I have had times where I felt kind of lonely or like, oh, wow, I sure miss my community in Big Bear. And, you know, I'll think back and then I'll go, oh, what can I do about that? Okay, I'm going to call this person. I'm going to um, see about going to this group or starting this group. Like, I've got a writer's group. I've got a process group. I've got, you know, various... Um, people in different areas of my life that I can reach out to now in Colorado and so it's it's just you know like noticing what's going on and then doing instead of staying stuck in it like you were talking about Anastasia staying stuck in the grief just actually turning that into action mm-hmm. and making your life even better hmm. I would I would ask then how, how how would one start a group because obviously you've done it in yeah. your new areas what did, what did how was the process for you to go about starting those groups well, I had one in Big Bear, a writer's group, and that really helped me with the um, step into publishing. Mm-hmm. And so I thought to myself, oh, that would be a great way to start community. I'll, so I set the intention for a writer's group. And then sure enough, I meet this lady in the parking lot <laughs> <laughs> um, before an open house for this wellness center, invite her to the wellness center. She ends up being a writer. And then I meet another lady in yoga. This, uh, one lady has a friend. You know, so it's like it just, you put it out there, mm-hmm. and, and it just, ended up, I don't, 
I don't know if coming to me is the right word, but I ended up being in the right place at the right time. Right. Mm -hmm. So attracting it um, and then committing to it. And then the process group was similar. Just I met one person at a party. She and I met outside of that and started talking about the needs for a spiritual community. And she said, yeah, I think I want to start like a meditation group or a process group. And I said, oh, yeah, I've been in one before. It's wonderful. Let's do it. You know, so it was, again, just kind of going with the needs, setting the intention, and then being open to receiving and attracting it into your life. And sometimes we have to take action and go find it. But a lot of times it just shows up, too. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, you, you've used the phrase setting the intention a few times. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, you talk about it in your book, but just... Yeah. Well, for me, setting the intention is about focusing your energy. Mm -hmm. So when you focus positive energy towards something that your heart desires, then, and you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with the law of attraction. There's so much out there right now mm -hmm. in, the, in the consciousness with the secret and whatnot. So when you set your intention with positive energy and you put your energy there, then um, what I found is that those things do, whether it's synchronistically uh, show up or you're guided in ways to um, meet those intentions, there's different ways of doing it. I tend to like to write things down because I'm a writer and I'm very visual. I like to see it. Right. Some people like to create like a vision board. Mm -hmm. They create with... Um, pictures and magazines and words and whatnot and paste them on a board and put it where they can see it every day. I also have an altar, so I work energetically with intention. Mm -hmm. And that I like a lot because I've let go of my attachment to my desires, but I work with energy instead. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if that's making any sense. No, no, it makes sense. Keep going. Okay. And then also through fire ceremony, I found that to be an incredibly powerful way of setting intentions. So what it does is transform the energy and all, whether it's something I want to heal, um, like for example, becoming a, a published writer, I had this fear of judgment. Mm -hmm. And I knew, you know, from my past life experience where that came from and some of the issues around that. And so I decided to burn <laughs> the issue, <laughs> burn, mm -hmm. write it down on a piece of paper, blow the energy from my being, where is it that it resonates with chakra, blow it into the paper, throw it in the fire, and with people, with other people present too, or doing a, during a full moon or a new moon, it, um, I found it to be more powerful. But mm -hmm. what happened was, within a week, I got a letter from somebody <laughs> that was the exact thing that I feared, <laughs> and it forced <laughs> me to work through the issue rather quickly. Right. So I found that many, many times when I've done fire ceremonies, things will just happen, and it's, there's something about that intention and the transformation of the energy that um, shifts so that I'm able to work through them quickly mm -hmm. and move on. And do you have any other ideas? Because I think, yeah, talking about how to set intention, I think that's a really good topic. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's one of the things I actually want to talk about is um, at the end of each of the chapters, you include a guided meditation and some journaling um, or, and some practical exercises about helping people um, shift to their thinking and you know excavate and deal with their emotions in a constructive way so that they can actually get on with what they want to be doing and um, I, I presume that these are things that you develop sort of dealing with yourself and then have refined as you've worked in your practice yeah exactly a lot of the tools that I bring up in the book are things that I use have used myself mm -hmm. and I've read and I thought oh this is a good idea let's include this but yeah a lot of them I use in my workshop or with my clients, mm -hmm. myself. Because mm -hmm. one of the things, because a lot of books give you guided meditations. 
um, but they don't, you know, they just sort of say, okay, sit down and visualize this. What I like is that at the beginning of each one in each chapter, you do the whole sit, breathe, ground, and center thing before you start the guided meditation. Um, because a lot of books just presume that you know how to do that, okay. or you know to do yes. it. Yeah, exactly. Or they tell you it in the first one and then presume that you're going to remember it each following one. Oh, well, thank you for that feedback. I'm glad that was helpful for you. And, you know, it's, it's you know, because, you know, I've been meditating a while, so I know to do this, but I'm thinking, you know, for somebody, you know, this is the first time they've been introduced to this kind of language, this kind of, um, you know, self-work, and the whole idea that I'm going to sit in a chair and sit up straight and put my feet flat and breathe um, is, is something new that they need to learn. Mm-hmm. And um, by repeating it in each chapter, I think it helps to reinforce the importance of that. And also, you know, one of the best ways to learn is repetition. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, that that was a nice thing as well. Because, um, you know, there are a lot of books out there that the basic idea is good, but they just don't explain it in a way that, that's practical and translates, particularly for somebody who is new to the whole self-exploration, self-development. Yeah, and that leads me to the another um, method for setting intention is um, visualizing mm-hmm. what it is that you desire and along with visualizing uh, allowing yourself to feel the feeling mm-hmm. what it is that you desire too so wrapping the feeling and the gratitude around it very powerful yeah um, and you also talk a lot about um, being able to let go um, particularly in um, what is this um, step eight sail downwind surfing the waves trust and let go um, I actually read that one a couple times because just I really liked what you had to say and I liked your approach because you don't diminish the fact that people do grieve, even for just things, you know, something as you know neutral as what you know we think. Oh, it's just a car, or it's just a couch. But you know, for in your case, for example, it was a very special car to you because of what it represented. And I think a lot of times people don't give themselves permission to feel grief about. Well, it was just a thing. I should just get on with my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've seen that in the people you're working with, if, if that's you know, kind of a recurring theme for them, or? Um, I'm not really sure about that, but I think it's a really good point that if, even if it's a material thing that we need to allow ourselves to grieve, because even material things have energy, they have attachment, they have meaning, they have, you know, so as we let go of things, even though they're, I believe they're a lot easier to let go of. For example, when we left Seattle and we let go of our house. Mm-hmm. Once we had moved all of our stuff out of it, it was just a shell. Right. And it wasn't, some, it's not something I missed. It's not something I even thought about. I thought, oh, that's curious. I don't miss it, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but just, yeah, I like your point about just allowing whatever it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let go in the letting go process. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things is um, when you and John made your decision to first go sailing and then to make this life transition moving down to San Diego, um, you were in a unique position in that you had transferable skills in terms of the job market and that you weren't encumbered by you know, children and multiple mortgages and <laughs> things that a lot of people are tied down by that they can't necessarily just say, yeah, we're going to yank the kids out of private school and sell the house and, you know, take off and you know get back to nature or whatever and so for someone who isn't able to just say okay in six months I can make this happen um, what do you suggest for someone who's in that kind of situation 
<laughs> oh, sorry. When you were talking, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, they can. <laughs> well. So I suggest, well, okay, a couple of things. Let's be realistic. But um, one thing really is to examine your limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. Because someone might think, oh, my kids are in a private school. I can't take them out. Well, why couldn't you take them out and homeschool them? We saw people on sailboats homeschooling their kids, and they were the most well-adjusted kids I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, I think that we just carry a lot of limiting beliefs that are passed down through our culture, through our family through our friends, through mm -hmm. society, you know, whatever is going on in the time. Um, so examine those limiting beliefs and don't let them keep you stuck. Right. So that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is just to do it gradually, just mm -hmm. to show up every day and make small changes mm -hmm. that will lead you, you know, down a path um, towards your dreams and your desires. Mm -hmm. So having some kind of spiritual practice like we talked about where you're checking in every day and and being open to, okay, here I am, I'm open, I'm ready, available, where do I need to go today? And then that'll lead to the next day, which will lead to the next day, which will lead towards, you know, that dream that you have or that goal that you have. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Uh, no, it's, it's, you know, because some people say, oh, yeah, it's easy for you, you know, you don't have to deal with kids and you don't have to deal with this and you don't have to deal with that. Well, yeah, but you still had to make choices and decide what in your life had value. Yes, and act exactly. on that. Exactly. It's about what is it that you value. So if someone totally values that their kids have a private school education, well, then, yes, that's important, and they need to make other adjustments to live a more purposeful life around that. But mm -hmm. if you can, you know, so looking at your values, I think that's wonderful, just mm -hmm. prioritizing what those are. Mm -hmm. Great. So is there anything else that um, you think would be helpful for people who are listening but haven't read the book yet to know about the book about making transitions about finding more purpose and meaning in life. Well, I think that you did a really wonderful, we spoke, but you especially with your questions, did a wonderful um, job of covering a wide territory. And oh, thank you. I'm just thinking around the topic of fear, because once you, I think the first and most important step is to know who you are and know what it is that you truly desire. Um, once you get to that point, and some people need to take time out to do that, you know, whether it's a weekend retreat or, um, alone in the mountains or whatever, just taking that time out to really go within. Um, once you know what you want, mm -hmm. then a lot of times we get stuck at the fear point. Right. And so the um, sailing away from the safe harbor, take risks in Chapter 4, I do give some tools with that. But for me, what I guess has been the most helpful is just to keep taking one little step at a time, keep moving forward, right. acknowledging the fear, and visualizing a positive outcome. And sometimes just asking yourself, well, what's the worst case scenario? Mm -hmm. you know, oh, I can always move back to uh, Seattle. I can always uh, go back into that line of work that I was doing before I decided to be a therapist. You know what I mean? So right. kind of going through your mind, like, what are the worst case scenario? Mm -hmm. um, that sometimes helps us move forward when yeah. we're trying to make a decision to go after our dream. Yeah, well, it's, it's um, I, I, for a while I was taking lots of seminars and professional development classes and things at one point in my career. And um, one of the most valuable things I ever got from those, because you know, some, sometimes they're worthwhile and sometimes you're thinking, I want my money and my eight hours back. <laughs> um, but the, they presented a, a four-step decision-making process. And step one is you decide, what is the best thing that can happen? And step two is, what's the worst thing that can happen? And then step three is, well, can I live with the worst thing if it happens? And then the final factor is, is um, is achieving the best thing worth risking 
the worst thing. And, you know, I found that that really, you know, it, it's, it applies in, in, you know, kind of an office corporate environment. But if you expand that out to the rest of your life, it's actually not a bad approach. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, yeah. And then also I like the idea of, too, it's asking yourself if you were to die, you know, tomorrow, would you have, have any regrets or, you know, that kind of thing. Is there something still out there that you would want to do or accomplish or be or say to someone or, mm -hmm. you know, so living your life day to day without regret. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I like that process that you said. I actually wrote it down. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, that, that may be the most valuable thing I've ever learned at any of the seminars <laughs> I've attended. <laughs> Uh, it's just like, wow, that's, that's, it, it gives you a nice perspective. And then, you know, you still have to work around the emotional stuff that it digs up. It's not a purely intellectual process. Mm -hmm. But just being able to clarify your thinking around the emotions and then, you know, process the emotions however you need to. Um, but it, it really helps. It's like, okay, what is the absolute worst thing that can happen? It's like, well, the absolute worst thing that can happen is I make a complete fool of myself mm -hmm. and I have to move in with my grandmother and, you know, work a minimum wage job. It's like, Okay, well, I mean, that's not ideal, but could I live with that? Well, yeah, it might not be thrilled, but it also wouldn't be permanent. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but I definitely think that you're right that for most people, it's simply being able to acknowledge the fear and find a way to handle it. So, well, thank you so much for your time, Karen. This has been really delightful. Yeah, it's been a pleasure for me. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. And Thank I, you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in the Bay Area and your various appearances. And I hope you have very safe travels as you continue your tour. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's drop us a note and let us know how things are going. And, and uh, you know, when your next book comes out, we'd love to have you back and talk some more. Thank you very much, Karen. This has been an absolute delight for us. And we've enjoyed Thank talking you. to you and listening to all the different ways we can move forward. Yes. And we wish you all the best in your travels, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Okay. Take Great. care. Thanks, Karen. Thank you, Karen. Bye. Good night. Good night. And this has been another fabulous episode of the Tarot to Go radio podcast. Thank you all for listening. Any comments, feel free to email us at podcast at tarot-2-go.net. And until next time, thanks for listening, and bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.